0: Another day, another dollar, makes you wonder where your money went. Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, holler. one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. All if times get weird. tough, or even if they don't, dictated is almost always the case during my 50 mile commute between Arlington in Frisco, Texas from my personal mobile studio, my 2006 Jetta diesel TDI. Today is episode, what is today's episode? 283 of the Survival Podcast. We are racking it up to 300 episodes. Thank you for joining me today. It is again I am stoked, you can tell by my voice because it is absolutely beautiful out. Car says it's 62 degrees. I got up about two hours ago, it was still dark out. I took a barefoot walk through the cold wet grass around my garden in the dark, and it was probably down at around 55 degrees and it was absolutely beautiful and I'm wearing a golf shirt and jeans on my way to work on a casual Thursday and what do I see going into uh, to the uh, little uh, store I stopped at to grab a cup of coffee on the way out onto the highway people in jackets Uh, Maybe I should call them something different. I should call them what they are. Coats coats, folks. Things I would wear in Colorado in January. And I just wonder, people that have a reaction to 63 degree weather, what they would do if times really got tough, I don't understand. In fact, I'll tell you one of the things recently that uh, we noticed. We were up in uh, New York City and it was in the 60s. It was like in the high 60s. And there were people with ski jackets zipped up around their necks, scarves on I don't understand. I don't get it. It really has nothing to do with the show. Just thought I'd share that with you today. And look around as the weather gets colder, and uh, notice the people that seem to be going a little bit too far. I'll tell you about the uh, Frisco Aspenites later this year. You'll have to wait to find out what that is. All right. So let's get on with the uh, housekeeping today. Number one, make sure you're supporting our advertisers, as always. Uh, our advertisers, our personal endorsements. That could not be more true with any of the than it is with one of our advertisers of the day today. That's Tea Party Silver. I just got my latest shipment in the mail last night from Tea Party Silver. I got two of the Eagle holding the Constitution coins. I got two of the uh, Buffalo uh, rounds, and I got two of the Morgan rounds. All three of them are absolutely, breathtakingly gorgeous silver coins, very reasonably priced, right into the firebox with the rest of my collection. I cannot endorse this product highly enough. Um, as you know, I think everybody should have some precious metal in their investment portfolio. I think it makes a lot of sense to buy straight bullion. But I, And I'm, I'm not big on numismatics, but there is something to be said for beauty and something that can be handed down and something that can be given as gifts. And Christmas is coming. It's going to be a great gift to give. You know those nieces, nephews, etc. that you always buy something for? Um, but they have all the toys and crap they could possibly need. Pick one of these coins out. Start giving them a coin every year here. You know, those, those kids that you spend 10 to 20 bucks on, you can't really spend any more on because you've got that big family. Start showing them what real wealth is and, and give them a thing of beauty. That would be a good suggestion. Uh, the next sponsor of the day is Safe Castle Royal. Uh, absolutely outstanding assortment of items for the modern prepper. Uh, wonderful discount membership club they have for $29 a year. Get you huge discounts on about 90% of what's in their store. And in just a second, I'll tell you how you can get that discount membership for free. Next, make sure you're getting involved Involved with our forum, please do. I'll leave it at that today. Uh, on that note, though, Region Eight is having a get together. I believe it's October 10th. Uh, they're going to be meeting at the Cabela's in Olympia, Washington. It's not anything um, on the level of what uh, Region Six did. They're not camping out and staying overnight. It's probably not worth driving, you know, two days to get to or anything like that. But if you're in the Region Eight area, if Olympia is within a half day's drive or less, you might want to get out there and meet some uh, TSPers. And I'll tell you what, going to Cabela's. It gets a pretty cool thing to do in of in of itself. I'll put a link uh, to the thread about it in today's show notes. Last but not least, please consider joining the member support brigade. If you do, you'll get exclusive content available only to members, including uh, some freebies and giveaways. And one of those is a free lifetime discount membership to uh, Safe Castle Royals Discount Club. That's twenty-nine bucks right there with the other stuff. It's about seventy dollars worth of free stuff uh, for your first year's membership is fifty bucks. So uh, it does pay itself back immediately. And you can even sign up as a monthly member at 5 bucks a month. So that's about $0.20 cents to uh, $0.23 cents an episode, depending on how you uh, decide to uh, support the show. So if you think this show is worth $0.20 cents an episode, consider doing that. That wraps up our housekeeping. Let's get on with the meat of today's show. What I'm going to talk to you today about is equipping your vehicle. Uh, being prepared to be stuck somewhere, being prepared to have to get somewhere, being prepared to go somewhere and have to stay there when you get there. Um, All the things that are beyond your bug-out bag, and uh, we're not going to talk much about bug-out bags today other than I want to make sure people know what a bug-out bag is for. A bug-out bag is not a combat tactical pack that you throw on your back and run into the National Forest with to fight a guerrilla war and live for the rest of your life for the next year with. A bug-out bag is also known as a 72-hour kit. It's designed to support you for three days and get you from a point of danger to a point of safety or make life somewhere for those three days more livable and comfortable. All right. Now, in addition to that, I'm going to be talking about a lot of things to go in your vehicle today. and You're going to be like, hey, he didn't say anything about fire starting. I'm assuming that in your vehicle your first item is your bug-out bag and I'm assuming of all the things in the world that go in a bug-out bag, you at least have a way to make fire in your bug-out bag. And you have some food in your bug-out bag, etc. So if it belongs to the bug-out bag, you probably won't hear much about it today unless I think you need extra of it in your vehicle or ready to be placed into your vehicle. So hopefully that makes sense. Uh, and that should make sense with the very first thing, food and water. Well, you say to carry three days' worth of food in your bug-out bag or your bomb, and, um, you know, the water's a challenge. Three days' worth of water is, per person, uh, would be one gallon a day. So just for yourself, you're talking about three gallons of water. Three times eight is 24 pounds. It ain't happening, folks. All right? Now... You might carry three liters of water in a hydration pack or something on, on the back of your bug-out bag, and, and that's great. But my point is you need more water in your vehicle, and a lot of this stuff is stuff maybe you don't carry all the time in your vehicle. You you know do threat assessments and where you're going, how far are you going, that type of thing. But uh, water, there should always be extra water in your vehicle, at least a few gallons. And there's no reason not to, and um, I really suggest, and it's more than a couple bottles of Ozark out of the convenience store that around. Around in the trunk. Uh, that's not enough. Now, you decide how much is enough and how much space you have, and you might have a big vehicle, little vehicle, different amounts of space available, but water is hugely important, uh, not just for survival, but including things like if you have to do some repairs that allow some of the uh, the coolant in your vehicle out of the vehicle and need to be replaced. Right. So water has multiple uses. Highest priority of everything that I'm going to talk about today to me is water. And uh, I, if you want to know what I carry. I carry about five gallons of water in both vehicles. And uh, I honestly wish it could be more, but that's, uh, that's going to get me through most of the things that I'll ever have to deal with. And that's day-to-day. That's not we're bugging out. There's additional water that could go in if we went into that situation. Uh, the next thing is additional food. Again, three days' worth of food in your bug-out bag, that's okay, and that's easy to do with the right foods and the right type of like dehydrated, freeze-dried stuff. I think it makes a lot of sense to carry additional food in your vehicle, and an additional three days per person uh, is probably a good idea. Now, if you're a family of four with two vehicles, that might be um, six days' worth of food in each vehicle, which would be a, a one or three days for every individual. So you might break it up between the two vehicles. If you're really want redundancy though you would do the full allotment in each vehicle because you could end up in a situation where only one vehicle is capable of going wherever you're going to go so it's up to you to make that decision um we keep nine days worth of additional food in each vehicle uh with a three-person household you get the point. Each vehicle can support each individual for three days. And what that means is between our bug-out bag and the stuff that's kept in the vehicle, we have seven or, or uh, six days' worth of food each. And if we can take both vehicles we have nine days' worth of food each, and that should be enough to get us wherever it is that we need to go. Additionally, we could always grab additional supplies of food from our storage in our home, and if we were going to our bug-out location, we have a very large amount of food stored there. So you see how that all starts to fit together in kind of a modular approach. The next thing I think that really belongs in your vehicle are spare parts. And uh, chief among them, extra fuses, whatever, go look in your fuse box. See what kind of fuse that you, uh, fuses you have in your box and your, your different modules. Uh, get a spare module and get a whole allotment of spare fuses. They're the cheapest thing in the world. And, yes, I know if your fuse for your fuel pump goes out, you can pull an, you know an accessory fuse it's not that important and replace it but you know what, fuses are freaking cheap folks and you can keep a whole bunch of them in a little tin in your glove box and uh, have fuses for your vehicle belts and hoses is extremely important you got to have tools, we'll talk about that in a second or they're absolutely useless but they are the t- two of the things that are most likely to fail on a vehicle that can be repaired in the field by an individual with some level of uh, capability mechanically now, what if you're a person that you don't know how to to change a a fan belt, you're not going to learn how to change a fan belt, Um, you you just don't have that ability, maybe you're an older person, you don't have the dexterity in your hands anymore, uh, or you're just not comfortable working on vehicles, or you want to learn, but you haven't learned yet, should you still carry those products? Yes. An upper and lower hose, a long roll of hose for whatever the standard size of secondary hoses you have in your vehicle, whatever's rubber, okay, and whatever, if you have one big serpentine belt and carry one. If you have four belts and to carry one of each, keep them in your trunk. They take up very little space. Why would you carry them if you don't know how to do the work yourself? Because if you find help, that help is only as valuable as what you have available to it. I was a mechanic in the Army. Sometimes I'll come across a person with a vehicle that's got problems. They'll say, well, if you're a mechanic, you should be able to fix it. Not if a part's broken, and it's an intrinsically important part that's not easy to substitute, And uh, you don't have it, and I don't have it. Then I need the part. So those parts are are what you would call likely-to-fail parts because they're made out of rubber, and most people do not change them in a regular maintenance schedule the way you're supposed to. People change a radiator hose or a radiator hose, depending on what part of the country you're from, when it leaks. Well, that's too late. So if you're going to be that way, carry extra hoses. You never know what's going to happen to damage a hose anyway. They're relatively easy to damage. Uh, there's also a little product that I haven't seen in a while, uh, but I just thought of it today, and I'm going to try to find it and see if I can get a couple of them. It's basically a universal hose repair kit. What it is is a series of different-sized little plastic uh, couplings and a series of hose clamps. And if you have a one and a quarter 1⁄4-inch hose, you take the one and a quarter 1⁄4-inch coupling, and right where the leak is in the hose, you cut the hose in half, you shove each end on the coupling, and you put it down with two clamps. This is a temporary repair, but it would be a much easier repair to do if you had a leak in the center of the hose than replacing the entire hose. Now, if you have a leak leak, uh, leak in the hose close to where it goes into the radiator or into the uh, water jacket or what have you, you're going to have to replace it, but that's a good little inexpensive thing. I just remembered it today when I was uh, going through the show notes. Uh, so... Think about funnels, and if you find them online or something, let me know, and I'll put a link for everybody there. Another thing you should carry is duct tape. Um, a lot of times if you have a pinhole link in a, in a hose, um, you can just tape it up. And a lot of times with a, a line, uh, even some relatively high-pressure lines, you can at least slow down the leak enough to get where you're going. I'm a big believer in carrying a uh, jar of radiator stop leak um, of transmission repair uh, sealant fluid that, uh, The transmission sealant has got me out of a really bad problem in the past and uh, helped me get where I needed to go. It's not the best thing in the world for a transmission, but in some instances, it can be the difference between getting where you're going and not. So those two items I'm I'm big fans of. Uh, I'm also a big believer in carrying additional oil and additional uh, coolant, uh, antifreeze, in other words. Let me talk about antifreeze for a second. I just had to throw down with somebody on the forum over this. Antifreeze is dangerous. Um, You can buy antifreeze now that's considered environmentally friendly, um, and it has a bittering agent in it so that animals will not consume it. An animal that consumes antifreeze, or a child, and about 3,000 children a year consume antifreeze. 3,000. Can die one of the most horrific deaths known to man due to renal failure. It's extremely painful. I lost a cat to it years ago. People that use it as a poison on animals are the scum of the earth, in my opinion. All right? That's That's how I feel about this. When you buy antifreeze, you can buy antifreeze that, if it leaks, will not harm animals. animals or children, okay? Make sure you do that. It'll cost you about 20 cents more a gallon. And then not have causing undue suffering on your hands is worth it. Threw that in there today. And yes, I do believe the people that do something like put a, a pan of antifreeze out in their backyard so that any stray cat that comes by will drink it and die are scum. And uh, I'd stomp the ass out of anybody that did it that I saw that actually saw do it. That's that's how strongly I feel about that. Sorry folks, I just can't not say that. Um, let's move on from there though and be more positive. Uh, next is a complete toolkit. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do. A lot of things you can fix um, if you learn about mechanics and you understand the, the systems of a vehicle and how they work. There's a lot of things that you can do uh, to get a vehicle running that's that's kind of down, but it's very difficult to do without tools. As much as you need parts, you got to have tools. Uh, your Leatherman can do some things like you know fix a loose connector on a battery or something, but it's not a substitute for a good toolkit. Even a good you know little hundred piece ratchet, uh, screwdriver, what have you. Set that sells for about 60 bucks better than nothing. I like to go a little bit more advanced to that, but then again, I'm a mechanic. So if you're not a mechanic, um, you know. Maybe that little set's good enough, but make sure that you have things like a hammer, a full set of wrenches, sockets, good wire brush, um, and learn some basic auto mechanics. Take a course or two. At least learn to do things like change a tire, swap out a radiator hose. Um, you know, you don't have to learn to do brake jobs or anything like that, but learn all the systems, how they work. If you understand that, you can generally, when something goes wrong, figure out what to do with it to at least get where you're going, what you call Build, expedient, repair. Uh, Next thing is I'm a big believer in carrying reserve fuel. I believe that you think in miles, not gallons. So when people say, well, how many gallons of fuel do I carry? Additional, I say to them, how many miles to the gallon does your vehicle get? And if they say 20 miles to the gallon, I say at least five gallons because that will take you 100 miles. And 100 miles in most situations is more than enough. Um, If they said, well, I'm not comfortable with that, but I can carry a gallon, I'd say, well, carry the gallon. Well, let's talk about carrying fuel safely. It should be in an approved fuel storage container. Uh, it should be vented often, which means you take it out, and open it up, and allow the, uh, the, 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 the the can to vent. It should be strapped down. It should not be filled higher than the line on the, the fan. Uh, the can says don't fill past this point. So just because you can shove five and three quarter gallons of gas into a five gallon can does not mean you should. Please leave the headspace there. It's there for a reason. Uh, I'm going to tell you what I. I am starting to do now. We are going to have a... um a tank installed in the truck, an additional fuel tank in the truck, uh, that, that basically is a toolbox above a fuel tank and will become the reserve tank for the truck. It will carry about 50 gallons of fuel. That will give the truck an additional range of about an 800-mile additional range. Uh, with th- with the tank of roughly 20, 21 gallons, I have about a 300-mile range for the truck as it is, that will give the truck an 1,100-mile range. So how much diesel fuel will I keep reserved for the Jetta? Maybe not in it all the time, but available. A minimum of 15 gallons of reserved Jetta diesel fuel. Uh, that means that both vehicles will then have an estimated range with reserve fuel supplies of about 1,100 miles. That will get us just about anywhere that we're going to need to go. Even if you cut it in half down to 550 because of sitting in traffic, uh, that type of thing, that still gives us a massive range. So... My number for the Jetta is directly proportionate to the truck. So if you're able to severely extend the range of one vehicle, even if you don't carry all the reserve fuel for your second vehicle in it, it might make sense to keep it in your garage or shed or something like that. On this, make sure you're rotating your fuels. Um, if you know What I do is buy my little 5-gallon can of Jetta diesel fuel, and uh, when I'm going to fuel up, I dump that 5-gallon can into the car, and then I fill the car, and then I refill the can. Very, very simple. Very, very easy to do. People that are afraid to carry fuel in their vehicles. Let me put it to you this way. If you're driving a car with a 20-gallon fuel tank, you're sitting on 20 gallons of fuel right now. Um... I don't see it as a danger that outweighs the reward. It's up to you in the end. I'm not going to say it's something you absolutely have to do. But right now, I am about to go through a part of Irving I would never want to have to walk through or even wait around in. In fact, a guy was shot here um, last year with a broke-down vehicle, just on the other side of this bridge I'm about to cross. If I ever, for some reason, due to a brain fart or what have you, ended up with a vehicle almost empty and wasn't close to fuel or fuel in its short supply, um, I'd rather have the five gallons in the additional 100-mile range. That'll get me anywhere I need to go inside this Metroplex. And from anywhere I go every day, it'll get me home uh, easily and uh, with more reserve fuel at home to uh, to go elsewhere if I have to. So that's my thoughts on that. Um, The next thing, I've done an entire show on this. It was around 150-something. I might post a link to that show in today's show notes. But make sure that you have documentation and evacuation records in every vehicle. I won't go through exactly what's going to go in there because, again, I've done an entire show on it. I'll probably redo that show uh, because it's important. Suffice to say, it's the contact information for everybody uh, that you would ever need to get in contact with, every method of communication you have with them, uh, text messaging, emails, phone numbers, cell, landline, their Skype if they have Skype. Any way that there is to get in touch with that person, including physical addresses, should be in there. The next thing that should be in there is. Uh, any kind of important information that you would need to, to get in uh, to get at any of your financial accounts or things like that. Um, you could do things like let's say you want to put a bank account in there and you're afraid it might fall into the wrong hands, encrypt your bank account number. And you can do that with very simple encryption. I'll give you a way to do that. You could do what's called a two plus encryption. And all that would mean is if your number your first three numbers of your account were six, three Nine, okay, then your number would become eight five zero. Okay? Got that? can't figure it out. I'm sorry. That's as much as I can do with that today. I'm going to talk about it more in the future. Um, but if you're the only one that knows the off-encryption number, and there's some, you can note that somewhere in your documentation, so in a panic, you don't forget what it is, uh, odds are that anybody that finds it is going to end up arrested trying to use your information because it's not going to match. And it's up to you how you do that encryption, but um, it is a very simple way to make it not exactly easy for somebody to use it if they find it. Um, the other thing... And the most important thing to me from the evacuation standpoint is in your vehicle. In your documentation package, you should have what I call my evacuation rule of three. We've all heard of the survival rule of three. Well, here's the evacuation rule of three. You should have three routes out of your area. And I've talked to people that say, well, there's only one route out of my area. Because they block everything off and whatever. Fine. But once you get past that place where things are blocked off, you still need to have three different ways to go from there. So at some point you can diverge. When I leave my house, there's I'm in a cul-de-sac. There's only one way out from there. So everybody has to get to a point of divergence. If you live on an island, you know, with a, with a causeway that goes to the mainland, well, yeah, you've got to go across that causeway to get out of there. But once you're across, so whatever that bottleneck is, from that point on, three methods of evacuation, okay? And what I'm saying is three locations you could be going to, all right? So you might have a location to the west, to the north, and to the east, I don't know. It's up to you. You figure that out. It could be a bug out location. It could be a relative's house. It could be, you know what, a and B are my preferable places. I don't have a C. I'm going to create a C. It's going to be a small town with a lot of hotels. That's west of here, and I'm going to have numbers to every one of those hotels. And as soon as I decide that's the way I got to go, I'm on the phone. I'm using whatever means of comm I have with them, and I'm trying to get a reservation. It could be that. It could be there's a campground out there I'm going to. I don't know what it is for you. I don't think a campground's the greatest idea in the world. And again, for that type of thing, we're not talking about end of the world shit at the fan here, folks. We're talking about the probable everyday disasters. It just means you have to leave. Okay? Um, so that's the first rule. Three places to go. Three routes to get to each of those three places. That's nine total routes. All right? And uh, last of the threes, three rally points. So you've got three locations, three routes to each, and three rally points um, for each location. And a rally point is, okay, we're going to our location A, mom's home, dad's at work, because of the evacuation situation, Dad can't get home first. Mom grabs everything she can, Mom and Dad are cruising up the highway, and there's a place that they're going to meet, and there's a plan to meet there. I won't go any deeper than that, but again, three routes, three, uh, th- three locations, three routes, three rally points. Uh, the next one in the list that I have here today is uh, road flares, lanterns, and flashlights. Uh, sounds redundant, but lanterns and flashlights do different things. Uh, a good LED lantern is a great thing to keep in your vehicle. It can provide a lot of light for you, but a flashlight's a lot better for shining under a hood uh, or up under an undercarriage. So I would carry both, and it, and those are additional to what you carry in your bug out bag. You can't have too many light sources. Road flares, extremely valuable uh, in, one, preventing you from having a broke down vehicle hit by another vehicle, sensible things like that. Also a way to start fire if you need fire. There are never such thing as too many ways to start a fire. So even that uh, has been uh, redundant with road flares. I really recommend you have some road flares in your vehicle. That's one of the things that, to me, is not really optional, and it's often overlooked. I think people are scared of them. Obviously, don't tape them to the side of your uh, reserve fuel tank. But uh, they are very safe if uh, stored properly, and uh, people carry them every day. And I've actually never heard of somebody driving down the road and a road flare just going off. Never heard of it happening. So I really suggest you consider carrying road flares. Um, I also believe you should carry jumper cables. And uh, I really think it makes a lot of sense to carry these little power packs that they have now uh, beyond jumper cables. Because jumper cables require a second vehicle to get your vehicle started. These little power packs, basically, you charge them up. And uh, I think you should check them every month to make sure you keep them fully charged. And you can keep them in a glove box. And if your battery dies, you basically just plug it into your cigarette lighter outlet or your 12-volt outlet, and it starts your vehicle for you. Um, Really great idea. I also saw something recently. I can't really tell you if they're any good or not. But I saw a set of two solar chargers... At Costco, I should have went ahead and bought them. Next time I go, I'm going to buy them. Uh, they have little suction cups, so you can suction cup these little solar panels in your window of your vehicle. And uh, little battery clamp cables, and they're designed to keep a battery from dying. Now, I don't know that that's, they're that great of an idea for that. If your battery just dies, it's time to replace your battery. Uh, or it might be time to replace your alternator. But, again, is a get-by solution? While well, you're trying to get somewhere, not a bad idea. If nothing else, it gives you a couple, a couple solar panels with solar some level of power output uh, that can be clamped on a battery and charge a battery. That's never a bad thing. They weren't very expensive. I don't know how much output they have, but what I'll do is I'll buy them. Uh, I'll get a battery. I'll run it down and I'll see how long it takes for those little guys to charge it. It'll just let you know about that. But I think it's an interesting little idea, something I thought I'd throw in today. Uh, Next thing are traction aids. Um, You can build traction boards that are pretty simple, basically some plywood with one-by-one cleats uh, screwed onto them, and they'll get you out of a lot of situations. Good old-fashioned kitty litter, uh, maybe a winch on your vehicle, uh, especially a truck. Every truck should have a winch. Even if you don't drive around with a winch on your truck, you don't want a work-looking truck, they make these uh, these little electric winches that attach to your battery or into a 12-volt thing, very powerful little winches, and they're designed to do things like just, uh, you basically set them onto your hitch ball uh, on the back of your truck, and they'll use the hitch ball as a place to easily, temporarily attach, uh, either getting you out or using your winch to get somebody else out. I really think it's something you should consider if you have a truck. Um nothing against cars, but most of them don't have a place to attach a winch to, which is partly why I believe that if you have a two-car household, at least one of them should be a Jeep or a truck. Uh, Notice I didn't say an SUV. I'm not exactly enamored with SUVs overall. Nothing against them, but not what I would recommend if your other vehicle was a car to be an SUV. It's a great big station wagon. Uh, Next thing, um, nylon tow straps. Very lightweight, very, very strong, um, capable of pulling big trucks out of tough situations, Uh, so I really recommend a set of nylon tow straps. Those also can go in a car. There's usually some way, an axle point, an undercarriage point where you can get one of those onto a car and at least get it moving, get it out of a a tough spot, or tow it off a road or out of a danger point. Um, Carry a shovel. Not an e-tool, a shovel. Even if it's a small shovel, one of those little mini garden shovels or what have you, um, can't tell you how valuable that can be for a stuck vehicle or for so many other possible survival needs if you end up stuck somewhere uh, where you need to do some type of shelter, uh, construction, or what have you. A shovel is extremely valuable. Extra clothing. I think it makes perfect sense to carry uh, at least one change of clothing extra in addition to what might be in your bug out bags and your vehicles. That's generally very easy to do. That can they can even be put in like space bags and shoved down into like your spare tire well or something. That's where we keep ours. Um, a jacket for everybody. Uh, there's a day-to-day thing, folks. I, I, I'll tell you what. I've been at, you know, an niece's soccer game in the fall or something like that. and It's been warm out. And then all of a sudden, you know, cloud cover comes in. and temperature drops down to 45 degrees. And my wife's cold. Well, I'll go get her a jacket. Or if I'm cold, I'll go get a jacket. So that makes sense anyway. But just a nice, you know, a, a jacket for everybody in the household. They don't have to be really nice jackets. Just a light, you know, windbreaker-type jacket. Maybe in the winter Time you go to putting like a heavier coat in there and swap them out. Really up to you how you handle that, but I think that's a, there's definitely a place to make sure you do that. And a blanket or two never helps. Good old-fashioned military wool blankets are hard to beat uh, for pure warmth. Uh, maybe a Gore-Tex sleeping bag, depending on whatever it is you want. But I suggest you have something like that in your car. You never know when you'll be stuck somewhere. That's part of what this is about. It's not just about bugging out or evacuating. It's the po- probability that one day. You You could end up stuck on the side of a road somewhere, and you don't know what the weather's going to be like. And uh, I'd rather have something and not need it than need something and not have it. Uh, The next thing is your navigational aids. I think that every vehicle today should be equipped with a GPS, and everybody that drives that vehicle should understand how to use it, how to program it, how to interpret it. And I know people will say, well, if you have a major shit at the fan, your GPS might not work. You're right, it might not work. But if it does work, then you have it. And when you're doing things like try to get... Trying to get to a rally point, having someone be able to say, look, just put this address or this intersection into the computer and start following it is a real big advantage. Uh, I also think every vehicle should have a compass, and you should have every person that drives in the family understand enough to be able to take a compass and go that way's north, and this is a map, and this is north on the map, and this is the name of my street, and now this is how I use the map to get where I'm going. Trust me, people, there are lots of folks that don't know how to do that. And you might think, well, I know how to do that. Does your spouse, does your 16-year-old daughter, does your 18-year-old son train people how to fly north and use a map extremely important in all but the most severe um, disasters a compass is going to point north now i know there's true north and magnetic north and what have you for the purpose of driving on roads in a vehicle All you need to know is that way in general is north, and then you how to read a map, and you're good to go. So that's as much training for this level as anybody needs. But make damn sure that they have it. Make sure they understand that when you look at a map, up is north. People that draw maps with north to the left or right or down drive me freaking nuts. All right, a map has north up for a reason. Make sure people that are in your family, you may rely on, to navigate somewhere at some point understand that. Um Again, I'm big on the GPS. I understand it's not 100% reliable, but it is very reliable uh, quite often. If our troops can use it in combat, then it makes a lot of sense for us to use it uh, day-to-day, every day, to get where we're going. Next is make sure you have methods of communications in your vehicles. I think it makes a lot of sense, I don't care what anybody says, to go out and get a little set of family radio service, FRS radios, two-way communication radios, or a set of MERS radios, and um, make sure that you have a way to charge them in your vehicle and keep one in every vehicle at all times. Yeah. Two miles is pushing the range of uh, FRS radio. Two miles—I don't care if it says 18 miles on the label or what have you. I've never seen one, uh, and I, you know, I tested this because I was curious. You know, how can they make these claims if they're not true? And it's basically like if the planets align and the clouds skip perfectly, and you fart into the wind and hold your tongue a certain way, on some day, maybe possibly, a signal might skip that far on these things, right? But two miles is a pretty good range, and it's a very reliable means of communication, and in a situation with uh, two vehicles convoying very close to each other, great way to communicate without using your cell phones at a time when cell networks might be down. I'm a big believer, I'm becoming a big believer anyway in the ham thing. I think ham radio makes a lot of sense. I think getting certified and licensed is great. I'm going to do it, but let me say this about the limitation there. For everything that it gives you. Unless everybody that you communicate with is also licensed and and knows how to use ham radios, there's a sacrifice. In other words, I can hand my wife an FRS radio and say, put it on number four and let's talk while we're going, and done. And that's it. So I think there's a huge advantage there. I also am really thinking about equipping both of my vehicles with CBs. Uh, They have a great range. Uh, they have a lot of flexibility. They don't require a license. They're relatively inexpensive. Uh, so... I, I'm thinking about going that way, and they also draw directly for the vehicle's power source, and so I don't have to worry about them going out. And uh, honestly, they have enough range that I can communicate with my wife uh, from just about anywhere in the city to any other part of the city, and they're kind of cool to listen to. So I'm thinking about that as well. My point, though, is have at least one thing beyond a cell phone. You decide what it is, and you decide how you're going to use it, and you decide how you're going to store it, but a cell phone itself is not enough. Here's another thing I want you to know today. Um, I've heard from a lot of people that say text messaging will work a lot of times when you can't get a call through. That is true. That is great. There's something else that I want you to know. There is no cell carrier in America today that has text messaging that does not allow you to send text via email to the recipient. And what I mean by that is, if I, if you're, if I knew your phone number, okay, and you're on AT&T, I would put your phone number at Text, T-X-T, okay, text or T-X-T is an abbreviation, dot A-T-T dot net. All right? And I don't know all the other carriers. You can look them up online. But I can send an email to your phone number at... uh, Again, at text.att.net. And it will come to you as a text message. Which means if I have computer access and I know your cell numbers and I can't call you, I could mass email text all of my contacts and let them know I'm safe. That is a good thing to know. I think that when you get a person's cell number, you should get their carrier. And in your documentation, in your phone, in your BlackBerry, anywhere that that information is, include an email address that can be used as a text messaging service. Very important and it gives you a lot of flexibility. If you get somewhere, your phone's not working, but you can use a computer, log in remotely to email for a moment, you can let people know what the hell is going on or give them instructions, right? And you can do it with a lot of people fast, but only if you have it all there. Don't think you're going to remember, well, Sprints is this, and, you know, no. Write it down, have the information, and be ready to use it and test it first. If you think you're able to, you know, send a text message to your father-in-law, try it, see if it shows up. See if he knows how to read it. Um, It's important to try these things in advance. The next thing is, carry a power inverter. You can buy a cheap little, uh, you know, 100-watt power inverter for $50. Bucks. Uh, I suggest you get something more on the, uh, the range of a 500- to 750-watt power inverter. You can buy bigger ones. Most of your vehicles out there, folks, aren't capable of maximizing the power output. Uh, in fact, a lot of vehicles won't be able to maximize 750 watts. So why, carry even seven, why not drop back to a 500-watt power inverter? Because you have it. You have it, and it can be used for other things, right? If you think about this, if both of your vehicles have 750-watt power inverters in them, and you have a couple of those little solar charger dealies that aren't very expensive, it might not be the most reliable power source, but when you get where you're going, if you're staying there, you have two vehicles with two batteries with battery cables and clamps. You have solar, uh, solar panels, at least to some degree, and you have power inverters to run DC to AC, you know, I'm just saying that maybe you would have something there that can be pieced together if you can acquire some additional batteries. Basically, you have um, everything you need to put together some level of pseudo-power source uh, that's solar, or if you find a wind inverter, or if you just use the vehicle uh, as a way to charge the battery. Right? You have a lot of flexibility now. So that's why I say go ahead with a little bit heavier power inverter. It sure as hell isn't going to hurt anything. Um the next thing is, I really think you should consider carrying an air compressor. They make these little bitty air compressors now, plug into a, a cigarette outlet, and uh, can at least air up tires. And a lot of times, you, you know, tires going down, but it's not a fast leak. Put a little bit of air in it, get onto a repair station, uh, or even if it's long distance, you've got to go. If you have to pull over every 50 miles and put some air in your tire, fine. Um, probably not the safest thing in the world but sometimes in emergencies we don't do what's safest we do what's most necessary Um, uh, that's why I'm also a big fan of having a can of fix a flat in every vehicle and I say have two cans of it Uh, it is not a great way to fix a flat okay? but it will often get you where you need to go I've used it more than once it's always done the job for me also one time driving my car on the uh, tollway drove over a piece of uh, angle steel that put a hole about uh, one inch long in the sidewall of my tire and basically blew the tire flat out. Um, in that situation, obviously fix a flat wall work, but in a lot of other situations, it will. I'm also a big believer in carrying a tire plug kit, learning how to use a tire plug kit. It will fix a lot of things like nails and, and other things that get into a tire. Basically, you can fix any hole that's just a hole in your tire that's not in the sidewall with a plug kit. If you have a plug kit, and a compressor, again, short of something like me running over that piece of angle iron that some jerk let fall off his truck, uh, you'll be able to get where you need to go. A plug is not considered a permanent repair. Uh, but my father, when we lived in Florida, when I was a real young guy, uh, ran a, a gas station and uh, it sold used tires. That was his primary business, selling used tires. Uh, he plugged a lot of tires for people. The people drove until that tire was, you know, ready to get rid of. Especially was a used tire, maybe had 5,000 miles left on it. And people just said, you know what, just plug it for me. And I think he charged like 5 bucks back in uh, the early 80s to plug a tire. And, um, you know, he he told me he never had anybody come back that he plugged a tire for and said the plug failed. So, you know, it's technically a temporary solution, but what I'm telling you is a very reliable temporary solution, and it's something anybody can learn to do really quick. Maybe I'll put a video together on how to plug a tire. That might be a great one to do. Let's talk a second about guns. Uh, Whenever we talk about survival... Logging out of your back, guns always come up. Day-to-day, I don't think a gun belongs in your vehicle. I think if, if, unless you live in a state where you can get away with that, but you can't carry. And in that case, get a gun safe, make sure it's hidden, and make sure your gun in your vehicle is as secure as possible. Um, if you're a carry holder and you occasionally go places where you have to leave your gun in, again, I recommend an in-vehicle gun safe. And I recommend what you're carrying and leaving in your vehicle, hold on while like I get past this con. Street truck. Uh, what you're carrying and leaving in your vehicle is uh, a concealed carry gun, a handgun, or a foldable carbine or something like that. Um, carrying long guns in your vehicle, very difficult to conceal. I guess there's some folks that have you know good gun safes and all, but I really worry about a gun being stolen out of a vehicle. If anybody ever breaks into your vehicle, trust me, the, one of the things they're looking for is a firearm because it has street value, immediate street value. Uh, so when people break in, they're looking to make money. They're not looking to to damage your vehicle Uh, so I worry about that if you're in evac mode then of course you take your guns with you, what is with the trucks today guys Uh, of course you take um, your guns with you then but I'm talking day to day, I really worry about much more than a pistol and a good solid uh, gun case and uh, centerofmass.com offers some great ones they donated some last year around Christmas time that we gave away Um, I still use the ones that they sent me, and uh, great product, especially the biometric one. Uh, I also am a big believer in carrying some less than lethal methods of self-defense, not just in your vehicle, but on your person. I've told the story before about how I stood off a, 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 a dog uh, that was a neighbor up near my bug out location, stood him off with uh, some pepper spray, didn't actually have to spray the dog, uh, but was able to uh, have enough confidence to stand the dog off because of it. And I was also carrying a 9mm pistol, and I was really glad that if the dog had come one inch closer, and she almost did, she was going to get a face full of pepper spray and not a bullet. I really didn't want to have to explain to my neighbor why I killed his dog. That alone is a good reason to carry less than lethal. Um, But we could get into a situation where um, authorities start confiscating firearms. And I wouldn't want to give up my gun either, folks. But it may come down to a point where you either give up your gun or you're impaired and you can't get where you're going. And if you're going to your bug-out location, hopefully there's weapons there, okay? So maybe you go ahead and turn over that cheap weapon that you're carrying as a bug-out weapon, uh, what have you. You don't want to be left defenseless, all right? And I know it's big. a lot of big heat men will say, i are not getting my gun. Folks, you may end up in a situation where if you want to keep taking care of your family, as sad as it is, that dark day may come, and you may have to give up your weapons. I don't want it to happen. I'm advising you to do whatever you can to not allow it to happen. But I'm also telling you, if your choice is, you're going to jail, and we're going to throw you on the ground and beat your ass and put handcuffs on you and leave your wife and your kids without your support and protection, or given the the jackass that's taking your gun your gun, you give up your gun and you move on your way. All right? I know that may sound anti-Second Amendment. It is not. This show's about survival. And again, if you're smart, you didn't give them your last gun, and you didn't give them your last bullet. But you may have to go somewhere else to rearm. So don't be defenseless in that situation. It is also the case that you could end up in a situation where you need to defend yourself, but you really would prefer not to use lethal force. Trust me, if you have a guy armed with a club or a stick, or he's just bigger than you, and... um, He wants your stuff, and all you want to do is get out of the uh, parking lot that you stopped at, and you give him a face full of 10% capsaicin, and and I mean a big face full from a big can, not the little one in a key ring, but the big can you keep in your vehicle, you know what? He's going somewhere else, and he's going somewhere else fast, and at least you're going to have time to extricate yourself, so consider less than lethal methods of defense. Especially for maybe people that would be hesitant in your group to use lethal force. Uh, Many times in a couple, and it's not a man-woman thing, it may be the man or the woman that really would hesitate to pull the trigger on a gun. But if you hand them a can of uh, pepper spray, they'll fill a face-up with pepper spray. So it gives you options. So I'm always big on options. Next really think about carrying a tent. A tent can give you shelter beyond the vehicle, give you a place to stretch out, sleep, maybe a sleeping bag, a sleeping pad. Uh, even if it's a small little two-man dome tent, uh, cheapo that you can just find a place to stuff in your vehicle somewhere and always have that option. Uh, beyond maybe a better tent or a, a better method of mobile camping uh, because it's there. And I'd rather have something that's okay there than have something that's great and not be there. Uh Additional camp gear, I'm not going to go through a whole laundry list of that, but if you go camping a lot, you use your gear a lot, things that are not in your bug-out bag but are real comfort items when you camp, if there's a place and room in your vehicle for it, um, consider putting it there. Next, shoes or boots pair for everybody that could ever end up in that vehicle um, even if they're a kind of a cheap pair but at least a comfortable pair um, if you work in an office you may wear dress shoes if you ever have to walk five or six or more miles You don't want to do it in a pair of loafers, folks. And, ladies, you don't want to do it in high heels. Uh, So an extra pair of shoes or boots, uh, hiking boots, uh, hiking shoes, I don't care what they are, make sure they're comfortable. Uh, One for every person that could ever end up stuck in that vehicle. And uh, last but not least, I want to encourage you to use what I call a modular approach to this entire thing. Um, Odds are you can't carry everything that I mentioned today. I don't carry everything that I mentioned today. I carry everything that I mentioned today in one or other of the vehicles... Uh, I wish I could carry everything in both vehicles. There's just not enough room to be able to do things like go places and have people in the car and uh, grocery shop and things like that. But what we do is we keep a lot of items that are on the list but not day-to-day carry items in bags or packs or cases that are immediately ready to go into the vehicle if we had to evacuate or go somewhere long distance. Or we were going to be in a situation like, let's say we were going to drive up uh, cross-country and uh, in the winter time, uh, then we would have some uh, cold weather gear in a in a kind of a module that would immediately go into whatever vehicle that we were taking. And so beyond the things that you carry day to day, think about having kind of a staged location in your home, and this would also include additional food that you would take with you if you had to leave. And, and you know, go ahead once in a while and pack up some of the stuff into your vehicle. Maybe not everything, but the essentials, and then see how much room is really left, you might be surprised. This is also a reason that I'm big on things like maybe getting a little RV. Um, You can cram, even if you're not going to live in the RV, right? A little, like a 20-foot travel trailer or whatever. Even if you're not going to live in there. Even if you have a bug-out location. right? You can cram a lot of crap in there. Or having a trailer. Or having a boat. Uh, I have a little boat. A little flat-bottom John boat. We can fit an awful lot of stuff into that boat and the trailer will handle the additional wait, we've checked to see how much we can carry. So the boat may not be that valuable if I had to go isolate myself in my bug out location in of itself, but it acts as a trailer. And you combine that with a modular approach and you get a lot of flexibility and utility. And folks, you can buy these little utility trailers at Home Depot for less than $500 um, and they give you a lot of options day to day. If you have to rent a piece of equipment or get rid of some rubbish or go buy some building materials and you don't have enough room in your vehicle so that's something you may want to consider they don't take up a lot of space and uh, you can usually find them used on ebay or craigslist for a song because people buy them they think they're going to use them they don't use them that much and uh, then they need some money so they go ahead and sell them So all in all, I hope you enjoyed today's show. I know it was long, but there's a lot of stuff to talk about when you start talking about different things to keep in your vehicle and evacuations and things like that. Uh, But if you start to think about all the items that I talked about today, then you start to think about all the things that can go wrong. And if you listen to this show while you're driving, wherever you are right now, in your head, I just want you to think of your motor just shutting off and you don't know why. And you're in the center lane and you can't get to the shoulder. You're stuck now in the middle of the road. What the hell are you going to do? So that's my last little piece of advice. Get AAA. I think we pay $75 a year to cover three vehicles with AAA. Those of you who saw my video where I was broke down up in Arkansas, three miles from the bug out location in the middle of nowhere, AAA saved the day that day. It was the 4th of July the day that happened, and uh, everything in town was closed, and it was AAA that could immediately find someone that would tow me on that day, find a location for my vehicle to go, get us a ride back to our bug out location, which we ended up not needing, but they could have done that for us if it was necessary. Um, That is so big of a deal. That is so important Do you have a way day-to-day, not really an emergency, but a bad situation can become worse. So those of you guys that are like, well, I'll fix my own flat tire or whatever. Do you want your wife fixing a flat tire on a six-lane interstate highway with cars speeding by at 85 miles an hour, blowing the horn? Or do you want her to be able to make a phone call, stay in the vehicle, and be safe until help gets there? So think about adding that as, you know, kind of your, uh, your fail-safe in normal times. When you put all of these things together, a modular approach, a well-equipped vehicle, uh, emergency planning, day-to-day safeguards, uh, and insurances. You end up with a very powerful, very versatile uh, vehicle. And that's what this is really all about. It's what I want you to understand. A lot of these, like, Hollywood scenarios that we have in our head of, uh, you know, guerrilla warfare or living off the land and all this stuff, folks, in most disasters, what you need to do is remove yourself from the point of danger. And the most obvious way to do that is with a vehicle. Now, there could be traffic jams. There's always problems. It's always good to have redundancies and backups. And what would I do? And what if I had to go on foot and maybe carry a bicycle or or Anything like that. But day to day, if you take care of your vehicle, your vehicle will take care of you. That means regular maintenance, keeping your vehicle tuned up, keeping it in shape, keeping it well equipped, and knowing how to use all the things that are available to you. Do that? That's a great way to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream, and you can holler. It doesn't matter Cause it all gets spent